for those joining us after the break. My name is Rod. My pronouns are he, him. Uh, welcome again. We, as I've said already, are doing a series on um, the Jesus way as a wisdom tradition. And the, the idea of the series, I guess, is to, to recognise that there is, we have a dominant culture, we have a dominant story in this culture, and um, that that is a dominant culture that, um, as Shane said a few weeks ago, really makes um, the market God in a way, um, and that the logic of the market as God is that um, the focus is productivity, and productivity requires um, as much time as possible given to making bricks. This, this is a callback to a series we did a few years ago about Egypt as um, yeah, a brick-making economy, and that the God of Israel was a God that wanted to liberate people from that kind of culture and that kind of story, a story where productivity is at the heart of everything and domination. Um, but yeah, Shane, Shane talked about the way productivity and mobility are the things that the God of the market requires um, because if we can be mobile, then it allows us to be where bricks need to be made. Um, and to be mobile... We can't be weighed down or tied down by relationships of care and dependence because they make that mobility and that productivity much more difficult. Um, so that's the, the logic that we teased out in terms of the dominant culture. And so the, I guess the flip side of that is to see what resources there are in the Jesus tradition to resist that. Uh, and again, from, from that series... Years ago, um, we talked about the fact that Yahweh, the God of liberation, the God that frees God's people from a culture of productivity, wants all creatures to flourish. And that what we see in the Hebrew Scriptures and also in the life of Jesus is a, that what is prioritised is relationships of care. What is prioritised is community and significant amounts of time given to rest and to delight, to wonder and to gratitude, and um, singing embodies so many of those things. Um, so for Lent, we sort of looked at all of this in connection to the Easter story, the story of Jesus' death and resurrection. And in the second phase of this series, we are just going to play a little bit and look at different parts of Jesus' life, different parables, different stories, different incidents in Jesus' life, and to try to tease out rituals and practices that can help us to become a community of care, a community of connection, and a communi community of, um, of celebration, creativity, rest, and joy, all those good things. Today, as I said, we're going to, to look at singing and the way it embodies a lot of those things, uh, mainly because Shane and Tamsin are away and I'm on my own and I thought, oh, how can I do singing and also do this bit? And I 
decided to make it all just one thing. Um, so yeah, we're, we're talking about primarily about group singing. And in my weekly note, I don't know if you received the weekly note, it's on our Facebook, we always post it every week on our Facebook thread, but also to co-creators. Um, I suggested that um, singing, and especially kind of communal singing or group singing, can be a very subversive practice in a culture like ours because it embodies um, the communal, the embodied, the emotional, and it creates a powerful sense of connection. If you're into the science, which I know many of you are, there's an incredible amount of research at the moment on the effect of singing together on us, on our bodies, on our minds, the way our hearts, heartbeat will sync up, um, the kind of brain waves that it creates, the kind of release of oxytocin, all of the good things that happen at a physiological and neurological level. And um, yeah, one of my favourite, I have a bit of a crush on uh, an academic in Scotland called Sarah Lane Ritchie, and she researches spiritual experience and um, the science behind it. And she's very quick to point out that just because the science says it's a good thing, it doesn't mean that the kind of religious explanations or the wisdom tradition explanations for the same thing and the benefits of the same practices are then irrelevant or invalidated. Um, she sees it as a both-and both equation. And I guess that's the kind of approach that we try to take here. Um, we're not afraid of what science tells us about our bodies and our minds and our brains, um, but it's beautiful when we see those findings syncing up with what our tradition has been telling us for so long. Um, but to, the, the point of today is to not talk about singing. <laughs> it's always a trap for me to talk about rather than doing. Um, but all I really want to do is make a, a simple point uh, about singing and then uh, illustrate it with a song. Um, but before that, I just want to um, give us a chance to name some of the ghosts or elephants in the room uh, by having a quick chat to the people next to us. Um, don't worry, it won't be <laughs> too, too vulnerable. Um, I just want you to talk about your experiences of group singing. It doesn't have to be anything to do with church or faith or anything. Just experiences of singing with other people. Uh, if that is something where you, I, I don't do it, I've never done it, that's fine, that's a, that's a valid contribution. Um, but talk for, for just a few minutes about um, how that's been good, how, what kind of good experiences you've had of singing with others and how that might have been bad. Uh, I know that a number of people have come to this community as refugees from uh, church communities where things like group singing can be used in a quite manipulative way. So we want to acknowledge acknowledge that. Um, so, yeah, just take two or three minutes. And again, it doesn't have to be about church stuff. It can be about anything. What experiences have you had in your life of singing with other people? And how have those been good? How have those been bad? What other reflections do you have on that experience? So any feedback from your group, some common threads or things that stood out 
to you from your group? I normally say no pressure, but I'm going to say a little bit of pressure. Uh, our discussion was that, like, generally great, but occasionally awkward. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, if you're just a small bunch and there's a tone of awkwardness there and no one has the confidence, then you kind of instantly pick it up on everyone else. Whereas generally what you're aping for is the opposite, where you kind of, if you're a choir or a bunch singing roughly the same thing, that you'll merge in and you put it nicely, like all your little imperfections all get kind of drowned out in the... In the mass. Yeah, that's beautiful. That that's one of the, the magical things about choirs, the way um, a bunch of people that don't necessarily have good voices, that yeah, the more there are, the more all of those imperfections are, are sort of evaporate and it just becomes a beautiful sound. There's something really profound in that. Um, other things? Grace, it looks like you've got something to share. Um, we spoke about the magic of karaoke and uh, going to a gig where everyone knows all the words, sings along. Yeah. Yep. And um, we talked about alcohol and karaoke as well and how, yeah, like how many drinks you need to strip away enough of your whiteness uh, <laughs> to be able to be unselfconscious in your singing. And that... Yeah, it's interesting, just that, that theme of self-consciousness and um, how do you manage that? Because there are cultures where that's... You know, I was thinking before about the way that, you know, in traditional culture, you've got um, your songs. These are the community's songs. Everyone knows them. And then you've got the musicians that all know the songs. And there's zero self-consciousness because we're all participating in the thing that we've always all participated in, in the way that we've always participated. And the, yeah, when that's stripped away, when you live in a culture where you're in different groups all the time and you don't, you, you know, you're asked to sing with a group and to, can I trust these people? Um, someone who will remain nameless in our group was talking about that kind of sense of proximity to the other, like you want to be far enough away from any other person that they can't necessarily hear your voice so that you can feel less self-conscious. And it's really, <clears throat> it's totally understandable, but it's also so sad because I've talked to islanders who say, oh, the beauty, the beauty of an islander choir is that our focus is entirely on each other's voices and listening to where the spaces are that I can fill. So it's this incredible sense of, of connection, communication, like constant communication and intense listening and then what's the offer that I can make given all the other things that are being offered in this collective activity um, and then to contrast that to uh, I just try to position myself so no, no one can hear me <laughs> so hmm it's a bit sad if understandable any other things that came up in your group I was just reflecting on this as you were speaking. It wasn't something my group talked about, but just the 
internal embarrassment you have when you don't know the lyrics to something or if you read, like, sing it out incorrectly or if you, like, go a bit quiet at the parts you don't know. Um, just trying to do that, like, the ability to fit in and be with a community. Um, I was just reflecting on that and why it is that we get a bit embarrassed or want to show a bit of vulnerability if we don't know the lyrics to a song. I don't know, it just came up. And I think the, the thing that we talk about in this community a lot is that the, the culture that we're in, the headwinds that we are facing, just in terms of remaining a community in any way, it's a miracle just to maintain any form of community in this culture. Um, and, and that's, I guess, the, the framing I would like for this conversation as well, that we need to be very kind to ourselves and go, it's hard, it's hard to be in this culture and to sing together because there's all of these headwinds, all of these things that are there to make it more complicated, make us self-conscious. Um, just that thing when you're in a, in a group and you're singing a song together, which you kind of know, but then last time you sang it, the musicians had a one-bar break for this bit and now they're doing a two-bar break, but you come in after the one-bar break and you're the only person in the entire room singing. Um, all, of the, <laughs> all of these risks that are there in a culture like ours that just aren't there um, in a lot of traditional cultures when it comes to singing. So we need to be kind to each other in this conversation. It's not about, oh, you know, self-flagellation, but, um, yeah, the, the question for today is how can we set it up so that it is possible to sing together in a way which is not super self-conscious? Any other Thoughts from other groups? I'm conscious of this. I don't know if it's my gaze is on this side, but it's all been this side. Anyone over here want to share something? Along the same lines, we were talking about self-consciousness, about how good you are at singing. And, you know, some people have had experiences where people have told them that they shouldn't sing or they're terrible. And that really affects their ability to participate. Yeah. And it's, again, the awful thing about how our culture turns everything into ranking and competition. And it's all good and bad. Are you a good singer or a bad singer? Um, and when, you know, in the context of a choir, that becomes an irrelevant question. Um, but when it's about individuals and who's better and who's worse, yeah, yeah. Someone you were pointing over there. Oh. I think I've read, and I accidentally went to a Hare Krishna retreat because I thought it was just a yoga retreat, but it was on a Hare Krishna farm and went to some singing workshops that they ran. And um, they um, ran with the belief that um, it's a myth that there's a, a concept of being tone deaf, um, which I think has scientific backing. And um, it's all about practice and pitch is a skill and anyone can learn that skill and everyone can improve that skill and if we don't sing that much as a culture because it's not embedded in any kind of common daily part of our, our lives um, we don't practice that skill and um, practice is a good way to get or like if, 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 if singing is something that everyone's doing everyone's going to improve Totally. Singing to your baby in utero, that's how it starts. 
in harmony, ideally. Yeah. <laughs> um, thank you. So just to refer to the Bible for a second, um, one of the things that uh, we put into our, um, I put into the weekly note was two parts of the, of the Bible, Philippians 2 and Colossians 1, which um, most scholars think now were Paul quoting hymns that the early Christian community sang together and that some of these hymns may have been sung within a decade or so of Jesus' death. Uh, and to me, this illustrates, again, how powerful singing can be as a way of encapsulating the stories and truths of a community um, perhaps even before those have been turned into stories and other texts. Um, so these are the two um, passages. Yeah. So we look at Philippians 2 all the time, so we're not going to um, look at that one. But it is, it's interesting that we keep coming back to it and interesting given that it seems to be from a song. Um, and this, this other one, which I might get someone to to read for us because it's not something that we've looked at for quite a while is the the Christ hymn from Colossians 1 um, which again because of the of the rhythm of the language um, and something to do with what it sounds like if you translate it back into Aramaic <laughs> um, people are convinced that this is from a song um, would someone like to just read it for us thanks Nat Christ is the image of the invisible God and the firstborn of all creation. For in Christ were created all things in heaven and on earth, everything visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Christ and for Christ. Before anything was created, Christ existed and all things hold together in Christ. The body is, the church is the body, Christ is its head. Christ is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And so Christ is the first in every way. God wanted all perfection to be found in Christ and all things to be reconciled to God through Christ. Everything in heaven and everything on earth when Christ made peace by dying on the cross. Thanks, Nat. Yeah, so this idea of... Um, yeah, this idea that songs were, in a way, the very first scripture, not two microphones, Rod, um, when the very first scripture, um, it's just really powerful to me. And, <clears throat> and again, it's something that we aspire to in our own community, to, to take um, all of the talk, all of the sermons, all of the series, and try to encapsulate them in songs that, that carry, carry them forward. Um, yeah, this is a this is a song that um, I wrote a few years ago when we were doing a series on the cross and um, looking at the work of a French thinker called René Girard, uh, and I wanted a song that somehow encapsulated um, the some of the aspects of Jesus' death that um, that we explored in that trying to rethink what the cross meant. Uh, I'll stop talking. I'll just sing it. It's all right. Holy Lamb of God We hung you on a cross 
Leaving the old lie that if you want peace, someone's gotta die. But they're behind the curtain. You were spreading out your wings, gathering all the victims up. Teaching them to sing a rising song Sing a song of rising Sing a rising song Sing a song of rising And they sang it's God that you were killing When you cut me down It's God that you were killing When you lay me in the ground But my voice will not be silenced body won't lie still, it's time to rise It's time to rise up It's time to rise It's time to rise up Spreading out your wings Gathering all the victims up And teaching them to sing a rising song That song also raises the whole tricky issue in communities like ours of that relationship between performer and community. Um, I was talking to Grace just before about writing songs where, that work for a community and writing songs that don't and that are kind of more songs for a performer and thinking what is the role of the performer artist in a community? We have preachers that preach so we hear their voice a lot um, but the poet and the songwriter when they're writing songs that the community can't sing, how do they offer that gift without it being um, about them? I don't know. But it's another, it's another really complicated question when it comes to singing in the community. Um, so we're going to shift now to uh, a song that we'll sing for communion. And this is sort of like the polar opposite of what just, we just did, which is me singing this song with a big range and lots of words and you're listening. 
um, and the complicated gift that that is, to um, a Taizé chant, which we will use as part of communion. If you don't know Taizé, they are a monastic community in Europe, and they uh, their thing is to write very simple song-slash-chants, very simple words. Normally, because it's in Europe, when they sing it together, everyone sings it in their own language, so it's sort of translated into all of the different European languages and everyone sings it in their, own, in their, in their mother tongue. Um, so there's something really beautiful about that. Um, but what I'm going to do is to, as, as we normally do in communion, people come forward, they take a cup, and then we form a loose circle. Um, and then I'm just going to lead us in a simple Taizé chant song. We're not going to put the words up on the, on the screen because um, yeah, one of the things about having words on a screen is that it takes us out of the space, the connective space, and projects us onto a screen um, and our, our minds are there and not with each other. Uh, so I recognise that Standing in a circle and singing together, um, especially given some of the things that we've just been saying, can be a bit confronting for us in our culture. So we just, on the one hand, I want to encourage you to push yourself a tiny bit out of your comfort zone, but on the other hand, if you're not comfortable participating in this, that is totally fine. You can not participate at all. You can take a cup and stand in the circle but not sing. That's, all of those are valid options and there's no judgment. It's all about us experimenting with how we do this in a way that connects. Um, so I'll tell you the words before we, we get up, um, but they're very simple. I'll sing and you can sing along uh, as much as you are able. Uh, it's just, O oh God, hear my prayer. O oh God, hear my prayer. When I call, answer me. O oh God, hear my prayer. O oh God, hear my prayer. Come and listen to me. Uh, yeah. So if you feel comfortable, come forward, take a thing of juice and a little piece of cracker you might need to crack some of them so that people can take a little bit and when we're in a circle I'll lead us in this um, song chant and again participate if you feel comfortable but I'd invite you to do that if you can thanks so this one is to illustrate yeah the embodied capacity um, and the connective capacity of songs I was reading about a study the other day talking about babies or toddlers and if you, the researcher would do a, an activity with them where they're just beating out a rhythm together. And if um, the researcher beat the rhythm in time with the child and then afterwards dropped something near the child, um, the child would often come and pick it up and offer it back to them but if the researcher beat slightly out of time, didn't actually synchronise their beating to the beat that the child was creating, then it created a sense of disconnection and distrust between the, the, the toddler and the adult. And if they dropped something, the toddler was much less likely to want to go and pick it up and offer it to them. Um, so it's just, yeah, it, these things operate on us in a, in a way that we just do not understand. And I like to think of this place as a place that's holding on to wisdom that we are losing elsewhere. Anyway, shut up, Rod, and sing.
Thanks, everyone. Um, we didn't talk about the power of synchronized movement today. That's probably the next step, isn't it? <laughs> but I did notice some some synchronized swaying. That's always good. Yeah. Um, all right. Just uh, to finish, then I'm going to uh, sing you a Irish blessing. Um, so it's my melody, but not my words. Uh, it's a very ancient Irish blessing um, to send us on our way. Uh, Deep peace of the running ways to you. Deep peace of the flowing air. Deep peace of the quiet earth to you. Deep peace of the moon and stars. Deep peace of the running waves to you. Deep peace of the flowing air. Deep peace of the quiet earth to you. Deep peace of the moon and stars. Amen. Go in peace. <laughs>